0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, one of the main characters, one of the children in that book, they find out that the ruler of Narnia, whose name is Aslan, is a great and powerful lion. And Aslan is the Christ figure in the Chronicles of Narnia. He represents Jesus. Now, Susan, upon finding out that Aslan is a lion, is surprised, and she admits that she would be nervous to meet him. She asks, is Aslan safe? To which the woodland creature that she's speaking to, Mr. Beaver, replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king. Well, in our gospel reading today, the disciples were about to learn a similar lesson about Jesus, that Jesus also certainly is not safe. But at the end of our gospel reading, they had to be wondering, well, is Jesus good, though? Well, Before we answer that, let's first back up a bit and start from the beginning. After all, it had been a long day for the disciples, one that they would end up experiencing quite often with Jesus, I'm sure. And Jesus had just finished teaching the crowds, the crowds so large that Jesus had to teach from a boat while the, the crowds were all on land. And finally, when evening came, Jesus said, let us go across to the other side. He was talking about the Sea of Galilee and the other side and, and that he wanted the disciples to cross it with him which perhaps may have seemed like an unusual request to leave the crowds behind. But, but crossing the sea wasn't going to be a problem, at least not for the disciples. Many of them were experienced fishermen, so they knew what they were doing. Now, if you're at all familiar with the geography of the, the Sea of Galilee, it's about 13 miles long and, and 8 miles wide. Has anyone been to Israel to see the Sea of Galilee? Okay, so a few of you have seen it in person. It sits at about 700 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded almost all the way around by hills and valleys, or at least so I understand. The mountains and the hills, they rise up about 1,000 or 2,000 feet all around it. And then I've been told also that Lake Erie, which is an too far from here. It has a lot of violent storms, or it can on Lake Erie. And the reason is because the, the water is so shallow. Well, the same is true for the Sea of Galilee. Its, it's deepest point is, is no more than 200 feet deep. And so you add all this together with the Sea of Galilee, and when the conditions are just right, when the cool air comes streaming off the mountains and dips down into the warm air that's sitting above the lake, you have the perfect recipe for some violent storms. And so that's what we see happening that day. Uh, Mark says, the gospel writer Mark says, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. This was a storm that had even the most experienced sailors desperate in fear. This is what the Dutch painter Rembrandt captures in his famous painting, The Storm on the Sea of Galilee. I know it may be a little hard to see on the the screens right now, but we'll zoom in in just a moment. But what's interesting is that this is the only seascape that Rembrandt ever painted. And if any of you have seen the the recent Netflix series, This is a Robbery, you might recognize it as the famous painting that was stolen in 1990 and still has not been recovered. Its frame still hangs in the museum in hopes that it will return. Now, Rembrandt captures this stormy scene with Jesus so well, I think, and one of the things that I appreciate so much about it is that this painting depicts just how chaotic and confusing and frightening it must have been for the disciples. First of all, just take a look at the boat. It is at a 45 degree angle, seemingly ready to crash down and sink under the water as it speeds over a wave. And then take a look, for instance, at the front of the boat on the left-hand side. The waves are crashing over the bow. One disciple there in yellow towards the front. He is hanging onto a rope while the water smashes into his face. Others are attempting to correct the sail or to hang on for dear life to the mast, all the while the boat is filling with water. And in the back of the boat on the right-hand side, one disciple is there, trying to pull with all his might on the rudder to steer, while all the others are just looking around, looking at the waves, at the sea, at the storm, all in despair. And at least three of the disciples are are pleading with Jesus, surrounding Jesus, who has just woken up. The scene is chaotic. It is dangerous. It is frightening. It is anything but safe. But strangely, Jesus had been sleeping through it all. Mark again tells us that the disciples who were at their wits end wake Jesus up and yell at him above the din of the storm, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And so Jesus wakes up. But we should notice something. You notice that Jesus doesn't answer that question. He doesn't speak immediately to the disciples. Instead, he immediately rebukes the wind And says to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And then Jesus turns and looks at his disciples and he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now you might assume... That the disciples at this point would have been relieved, even if they felt maybe a little sheepish for having yelled at or doubted Jesus. Or, or perhaps they would even be joyful and full of laughter at seeing how they were just saved from that storm. But they're not. They're not any of those things. The disciples had been afraid for their lives, despondent that Jesus wasn't doing anything while it seemed like they were about to die. But then after Jesus calms the storm, Mark tells us that the fear that the disciples had was now replaced with an even greater fear. As they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, the disciples had just come to the realization that this Jesus whom they were following, this Jesus whom they had just spent the entire day listening to, this Jesus who was in the boat with them in the middle of the sea, this Jesus wields power over all creation and therefore to them is anything but safe. You see, so often people want to make the assumption that God is completely safe. According to their thinking that God can't possibly be in the storm, that God can't possibly do this or do that. But what Jesus shows his disciple and shows his disciples and shows us as well is that when we confess that Jesus is indeed in control of all creation, it means he's not taking any breaks. He's still in control, even when bad things happen. That God may permit the storm, because the storm will also accomplish his will, even if we can't understand it. The events of September 11th in New York and Washington, D.C. and Pennsylvania, they're going to mark their 20th anniversary this year. I remember immediately after those events, people were trying to explain how God could let something like this happen. Countless pastors and spiritual leaders tried to assure the nation, well, God wasn't present in that terrible tragedy. He couldn't be. Or at the height of this recent COVID pandemic, Joel Osteen, a false teacher of what's called the prosperity gospel, where if you believe in God well enough, then he will bless you. He had to explain why his own followers and church members were getting sick or some even dying. God is preparing you for something even greater in your life, he tweeted out. Bad things can only happen to you when you stop believing. You see, explanations like this may sound good, at least at first, and And we may so desperately want to believe them because in the end, it gets God off the hook for the storm. It assures us that God is not in any way involved with our afflictions, that he will always quell all the storms in our lives and he will make everything work out just fine. But these explanations ultimately fall short because they're not explanations that God offers. As we heard in our Old Testament reading today, God is speaking to Job for the very first time after all of Job's suffering. And you're probably familiar with this story, his his riches to rags story, the, the heavenly wager that occurs between Satan and God over whether Job would remain faithful if he had everything in his life taken away from him. But you see, God never actually explains himself to Job. Or gives him the reason why. Instead what we hear. As we heard in our Old Testament reading. Is God reminding Job of his proper place. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. And God goes on for four more chapters like this. He takes Job on a whirlwind tour of all creation and the entire cosmos. And all Job can do at the end of it all is fall down before God and say, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You see, we can never assume to know all of God's purposes or all of God's ways. And because he is the God of all creation, the one who laid the foundations of the earth and set the bars and doors for the limits of the seed, we know that he is in control over all things. Now we know, and to be absolutely clear on this point, God is not the source of evil and suffering. Those things came into this world on account of our own sin, our own fall into sin, and the effects that fall had on creation. But still... We know because of who God is, nothing can happen without his permission. All things submit to his will. We do not define what God is allowed or permitted to do. We cannot even comprehend the vastness of his power and authority. The disciples witnessed that power and authority with their own eyes. It was on full display as Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves, and because of it, that's why the disciples were filled with a great fear. They knew that Jesus Christ, the King of all creation, is not safe, meaning, He does not answer to them. But then the question remains Is He good? After all, knowing that Jesus is not safe, but wondering if he's good, it can be a difficult spot to be in. Knowing that Jesus does not answer to us, it's actually a, an important first step in the proper fear and reverence that we owe him at, as God, much like Job found out, but but again, if we were to leave, leave it there and, and not know what Jesus thinks about us, not know whether or not he's good towards us, well then we would be left in the middle of the storm. We would have the winds and the waves crashing all around us, and we would be crying out at the top of our lungs, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? What is the storm in your life? You know it better than anyone else in this church. Is it financial concerns? Are you struggling with anxiety or depression? Are you worried about your family? Is your health declining? Do you have sorrow and grief that burdens you? You know that Jesus is in control of all things, and while he does not cause the suffering in your life, still he permits it to occur. And you know that it's not your place to question him or demand answers from him. That you know that his ways are not our ways. Still, there are days when we see the the storm swirling all around us. And we can't help but wonder, Lord, do you not care that I am perishing? We know full well that Jesus does not answer to us. The king of all creation never should. He is wild like Aslan. We can't domesticate him or make him in our own image. But we must know is he good? Another reason why I really appreciate this painting by Rembrandt is how he depicts Jesus in the midst of the chaotic scene. Again, I know that it's hard to see on the screen. I invite you perhaps to to look up this painting. Uh, Google it when you get home. But in the midst of this chaotic scene, your eye may be tempted to wander all over the canvas, the stormy seas below, the dark sky in the rear, the, the struggling disciples in the boat, but in the deepest part of the darkest part of the painting radiates the face of Jesus. And that's why the disciples begin to gather around him. He is with them in the storm and he will be their good and gracious king. In fact, the anticipation of his miracle has already begun to break in the sky where the boat is headed. It reminds us that in the midst of our darkest days, there is only one place for our eyes to turn. And that's to Jesus, the one who commands the wind and the sea. This Jesus who spoke all things into existence, the king of all creation, he chooses to use his unlimited power for you. He is the creator who entered the creation and he does not shy away from being with you in the storm. He is not absent from the suffering as some people want to excuse him to be. Instead, he charges right into it. He knew exactly where that boat was going to be headed that day. And he wanted to be right alongside his disciples in the midst of the storm. And when he went to the cross... Jesus allowed himself to be surrounded by a different storm, the storm of our sin. And there he had a showdown with the root cause of all the suffering and the fallenness and the death that we experience in this world, and he willingly took it upon himself so that he could pay the price for our sake. And from the cross, he quieted that storm, and then he left it behind forever as he walked out of the tomb on the third day. You see, we do have a powerful God in Jesus. He has chosen to use his power for you and for your sake. And he is also dangerous. Jesus is dangerous to sin and death and Satan and all that would dare keep you separated from his love. And most of all, Jesus is good. He is good for your sake, because he's the king, and he forever will be. So what does this mean for us today? What about the storms that still swirl all around us? Well, if we go back to our painting one last time, there's one more reason why I appreciate this masterpiece by Rembrandt. If you look at the boat, and if you count up all the disciples, You would think there should be 12 of them, but there's actually 13. And the reason for that is that Rembrandt painted himself right into the picture. He painted himself right into the frightening scene. He is there close to Jesus staring back at us so that we may see his face. And I think that this is a subtle acknowledgement from Rembrandt himself that he pictures himself right in the middle of that dangerous storm, just as we know we are right in the middle of the dangerous storms of this world. But that his hope and our ultimate hope, it rests in the God who is able to command even the wind and the waves. Jesus asked his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Well, we have been given the faith. Faith to believe that although King Jesus may not be safe, at least not as this world would like him to be, that he is always good. Which means that Jesus isn't going to quiet every storm in our life, at least not yet, not until eternity. But until that day, We know where we can find him. He is right here alongside of us in every storm. We may be tempted to lose sight of him by being distracted, distracted by the the sky or the wind or the sea, but we won't be. Our eyes always come back to Jesus. We keep our eyes fixed on him as he is preparing for us a safe harbor in the new heavens and the new earth and until we reach it and until we see it with our own eyes he will always be with us and we with him in his name amen and now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord amen